In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 119-111 win over the Sacramento Kings to kick off this four-game road trip. The conundrum that Matisse Thibel presents as a borderline unplayable player offensively who then dominates and takes over games on the defensive side of the court and whether or not the Sixers are exceeding our expectations a quarter of the way through the season. We're going to do a mailbag podcast here coming up soon in the coming days. So if you have a question, send us an email to mailbag at sixersbeat.com. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined as always by Rich Hoffman the Sixers, on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm great, man. I am, uh, you know, there's not a lot going on right now. It's the, the Sixers are pretty good, but we still have to wait for a long time. And, and that's kind of going to be the theme of today's podcast, I would say. They are. They are 18 and 7. They're starting a, the, the, the Bucks are pulling up close alongside the Sixers atop the Eastern Conference. So their shrink, their lead is shrinking in the conference, but their lead over the rest of the non-Milwaukee teams continues to grow. They're four and a half games up on the Brooklyn Nets for the third seed, and then five games up on the Celtics. Right now, the East only has four teams over 500. So the Sixers are putting some distance between themselves and most of the Eastern Conference. They are playing. Good basketball, but it is still very much a... I mean, to be honest, like this road trip that they're on, which they started off with a win over the Sacramento Kings, who had won seven of their last eight games. So it was a pretty... The, the game was not necessarily a good game, but the win was a good win, I guess is sort of how I would describe that one. But they are playing good basketball. I guess get this out of the way at the top. Head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get a 50% off on a yearly... Uh, subscription to The Athletic. You can read what Rich and I write. You also get the added benefit. You can listen to these podcasts without ad reads because I know everybody loves my ad reads on these things. So head on over there. I'll, I'll, I'll help put you out of your misery. We can get set credit for sending you over there. So win-win. Just got just got my new shipment of uh, Product X that you're going to talk about later. There you go. I'm not even sure which Product X it will be, but we will see. We will see. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we'll just start off and start it off with uh, Tuesday's game against the Kings. Uh, like I said, a 119 to 111 win over the Kings. Uh, a game that was, you know, I they played a lot better there in that fourth quarter, but that was otherwise pretty much in doubt through. They were trailing by four heading into that fourth quarter and really just were not playing good basketball. Like they were really struggling to defend the Kings in the half court. They were struggling to defend them in transition. You had a down game from Joel Embiid, and they continue to get that outshot from the three-point line, which continues to be a, a pretty disturbing trend. And then Embiid woke up, dominated the final six minutes of the quarter. Tobias Harris came through with a good stretch as well, and they, they turned into real suffocating defense as Rich dies in the background. Mm-hmm. Where uh, where do we want? Because I, I, I wrote about the game, uh, which is super fun. I love writing about 10 p.m. starts. Where uh, we'll start off with you, so you can get your sort of opinion on that game out. What what was your major takeaway on that win? Yeah, I, th- I think you you put it the right way. Good win, not not always the best game. I mean, 
The first half of that game was fun. The Kings really do push the ball down your throats. Yeah. They play no defense whatsoever. I mean, some of these dribble handoffs and pick and rolls the Sixers were running. So, like the Korkmaz big dunk, the, the C just was completely parting in a way that you do not see with most <laughs> NBA teams. And, you know, I knew this, but but I did go to cleaning the glass and NBA.com. Yep. One of the two to check. The Kings do have the worst defense. They do. The e- even after winning seven, <clears throat> as we both die now. Even after winning seven of eight, they still have the league's worst defense. Yeah, it's it's impressive. It's impressive. They are a 500 team with the worst defense in the league. Yeah. So the first half was, I mean, up and down. Not a lot of defense played on both sides. Boy, that uh, De'Aaron Fox is pretty good. Huh? He, he's not bad. He is not bad. He is, what, I think probably averaging about 23 and six, something in that range, just so fast. He is so fast and so fun to watch. Shoots a three ball, I think, better than I would have expected when he was in college. Still still up and down, but it's enough where he can be a threat that you have to guard him out there. And yeah, he is he is real good. He's real good. Well, well, since we don't have a lot to talk about, if De'Aaron Fox is on this team right now, do you think they are I mean they're they're better, obviously. Well, if De'Aaron Fox is on his team, because remember, so what I'm talking about is inconsistency. He shot 30.7% from three his rookie year, then 37, then 29, now 36. Year to year, it's real up and down. If he's on the Sixers, he just shoots 29% year out of, uh, over mm. year, and he's tough to play That's next fair. to Simmons because that, that is how things happen in Philly. Bad shooting happens in Philly. Let's say he's on the team, though, because I always tell the story about how, you know, we, we did the podcast the night yeah. before. They, they make the Fultz trade. That, that goes through. And then the next day, which is the Saturday before the draft, the morning workout is the Aaron Fox, yep. which I believe had been scheduled for a while. And in the lead up to that moment, you know, the Sixers had the third pick. The Aaron Fox was in play at that yep. spot, you know, whether it was three to seven, but he was he was in that group and there was a lot of different players like. Uh, and I'm pretty I, I would not have taken him with that third pick for sure. I would not. No, I, yeah. well, I wouldn't have taken Tatum either, which, uh, uh me, sometimes neither. You, me neither. Sometimes you have good drafts. Sometimes, I mean, to be fair, I think we would have taken Isaac, who is, he's hurt, but he's, he's good. Seems like he's yeah. a pretty good player. So, no, I, so, I mean, I remember writing at the time, like, I actually really like Jason Tatum and De'Aaron Fox, not as much as what they've developed into. Like, they're better than I would have expected, but I didn't like their fit with, uh, with the Sixers and on a team with Simmons and Embiid. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're really good. They're really good. But but I'll always remember De'Aaron Fox, who a lot of people were anticipating his workout. Nobody and obviously it. he's got this great personality and like the interview is going to be one of the better parts of it. He's getting interviewed by people like myself who were half asleep. Yeah. And there were only a few people there. Like, honestly, I was almost going the extra mile because the Fultz workout where he was terrible and he, you know... uh Chick-fil-A was like falling out of the car when, when he got there. That was later that night. And that was the thing that everybody was looking forward to. It was what the Sixers were looking forward to. And I just felt bad for the kid at the time. And do you remember how excited they were for that Fultz workout? Like the, the, the organization was just like, they were ecstatic. They were so happy. They even bought us cheesesteaks. Oh, they, they've done that before. What's the, uh, what's the good jer- Jersey Camden? Yeah. Cheesesteak place. I forget. It's been so long since I've been there. Donkeys. 
Yeah, it is pretty good. So I was just thinking about you. Just thinking about that cheesesteak right now. Yeah, just, just how good it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's- well, and also, so, so since Rich and I, we don't release the video because nobody really wants to see our faces. But since we're we can now see each other, now I I forget that we're doing a podcast that we record and we release. So I just do a head nod sometimes, and that doesn't come through on the podcast. So I've got I've, I've got to I've got to remember that. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL, Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager okay but back to my original question because we've been on a million tangents by now if the aaron fox is on the sixers right now championship favorites or or is the fit because like you said i mean his shooting is a bit of a question mark but still like such a talented player yeah and to have him simmons and Embiid. yeah i mean look their their defense would be better um i don't think could you imagine could you imagine the simmons fox bench units without Embiid? yeah how fast they would play yeah yeah and you'd, you'd always have one of the fastest players in the league on the floor he Look, he would be a real good addition for sure, for sure. And and like I said, there's some. Qual- oh, to be honest, like if he if you're he's shooting 36 percent from three and making on five attempts per game, like that's enough to keep defenders honest. Not necessarily enough to play perfectly off of Embiid or perfectly off of Simmons when he has ball. But yeah, I think there would certainly be at least favorites to. They, yeah, I'd probably make them favorites in the East. Put it that yeah. way. Put it that way. Or yeah, and, if you put Tatum on the Sixers, which Tatum was never going to be there at three. I've said that the entire time. Boston does not make that trade if they think that the Sixers are taking Tatum at one. Um, but if theoretically this was a world where Tatum fell to three, which I wouldn't have drafted, but would have been the right move, then yeah, they're they're favorites too. That was a uh, that was a big draft. That was a big draft. Yeah, it was, it was a big missed opportunity. Tatum, they would be fine, uh, title favorites in my opinion if they had him. The the answer with Fox to me is prob- probably yeah I think they would be if not favorites to win the East pretty close there would still be a little bit of the clunky fit but I think the real answer is that one of Simmons or Fox is traded for yeah I don't think they get to this point a better fitting piece yeah. and the team is better at this point anyway he's really good and he was making threes in the first half of that game and when he is making threes 
Ben Simmons, who I don't know, like, would, are those the two fastest players in the league from a, uh, I don't know, end line to end line standpoint? Like, I don't know how you'd measure it. Ben, ben would not beat him in a quickness contest. Yeah. But I think he would come closer to catching up to him if it was over a longer distance with his strides. I don't think he would. I think Fox probably is the fastest player in the league. But uh, Ben didn't have anything for him in that first half. No. And it wasn't really, like, all his fault. I mean, there was, you know, there was the one play where he kind of tripped over it and, and Fox had the uh, the added benefit of, of staring and looking like he broke his ankles on that one. But, uh, you know, Fox hit a couple of bombs from above yeah. the break where you're just like, you know, you're not going to do anything with that. So that that was a tough first half. I believe the Kings were 11 for 20 in yep. the first half of that game. And it wasn't just Fox. Like Halliburton made some really long ones in that first half. And if we're really like, you know, the Sixers defense got better. But if we're truthfully analyzing that game, the Kings made threes in the first half. They didn't make threes in the second half. Yeah, yeah that's sure. okay. I like I think That's, eleven for twenty in the first half, and then one for twelve from three in the third in, in the third quarter. So did the Sixers defense pick up? Yes, especially in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, I thought they played better defensively. Third quarter, Sacramento just missed shots. Like when you get twelve looks from three point range, there's very few. Unless you're like leaving Andre Roberson open from three, giving up that many three point attempts is usually not indicative of of really good defensive performance. Yeah, their defense was better. But they also just missed a lot of threes. But like, look, it, it evened out to an extent because the Kings were absolutely on fire in that first half, despite yep. the fact that the Sixers, I thought, did a poor job in transition. Yeah. You know, the Kings were running off makes um, in a way that just you don't really see too much. That said, I thought Matisse Dybul's defense in the second half, but in, in the fourth quarter specifically, you know, he's had a really good couple of weeks defensively. And I, I just, you know, watching him not stay in front of Fox on every possession, I think he got in front of, of Thibel for layups a couple of times. But, you know, Fox, if you look at the end of the night, he shoots 13 of 30 for uh, for his 34, I believe. I'm actually not looking at it right now. But a lot of that was just Thibel, wh- whether he was steering him to the help or just straight up cutting him off a couple of times. You know, we we think of Thibel as this great off-ball defender, right? He's the zone guy, and he is. That's like that's what his strength is. It's pretty cool to see him play like straight up man-to-man defense like that. Yeah, yeah, no, and 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 Fox, to your point, uh, thirteen for thirty for thirty-four points, but he was three for thirteen for seven points in the fourth quarter, and I think Simmons had Fox on the final play. And then there was maybe one other play where there was a, a broken coverage. But I think every other play, every every other one of those shots at least, Thibel was the primary defender. Now, sometimes I think there might have been one or two switches in there. There might have been um, some, certainly some help. I mean, a lot of that was Thibel funneling him off of those pick and rolls going over and chasing him into his 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 help defenders. But he did. there were a couple of possessions where he, Thibel moved his feet exceptionally well. He used his length and his angles really well and he did play some good man-to-man defense and like you said did fox get into the paint sometimes and just miss shots yes did he miss a jumper that maybe he was making the first half yes but matisse matisse on the whole matisse 
Matifa <laughs> did play pretty good defense. Yeah, uh, not and not Fox, pretty good defense. He played really good defense. And Fox has been playing some awesome basketball. There was a game, I believe it was on Sunday. I was watching it live. He uh, he smoked Kawhi Leonard on a possession yeah. at the end of the game. Just blew right by him in a way that. I'm not even sure really happened to Matisse. Like he scored a couple times on Matisse, but it was just like a really great offensive move. Like Kawhi Leonard just got smoked by Fox at the end of that game. So that uh, that's impressive, and he is really pushing the boundaries of zero what a defense points, first player. Zero took, made shots, zero attempted shots. In how many minutes? Say how many minutes? Too. Like twenty, twenty-two, twenty-two. What? And he flipped the game on its end. Like he completely turned the game around. It is, to your point, he is really pushing the limits on whether you can stay in the rotation as a complete zero. Complete zero. Really a a big negative on offense. It's insane. insane. I feel like in all of our years doing this, what you have impressed on me more than a lot of things is like, just like pay attention to the box score sometimes and see what the person is doing and like, don't don't get caught up in the emotion of of a game and and all these things. Actually, think about what they're doing on the offense. Man, zero shots in twenty-two <laughs> minutes. And it's not like the other team doesn't recognize it either. Like they'll help off of him all the time. He makes Embiid's and Simmons' life harder, no doubt. Then he comes in there and he holds the other team star to three of thirteen, and you know has a game where he's taking over the game in his zone. And like, what do you do? I don't know. He's real. He's real tough. He's real tough. And then you've got some fan base, some in the fan base are like, he should be starting over Danny Green. And it's like, he's, he's a really good defender who has no business being on the court offensively. It's really weird. It's really weird. He's like, uh, I think there are some levels of basketball where it's basically three on three and, and you have defense first player players, basically like you're only allowed. I think it's the way it was set up is you're only allowed two players to play full court and you have three only offense players and three only defense players, man, he would be awesome at that sport because he, so like he plays at the end of the game. Right. And as we have said a few times when, when it comes to Milton and green, doc will switch up the closing lineup depending on who is playing well. And it was funny that last night when we are recording this on Wednesday, by the way, Milton was closing the game before he rolled his ankle. Curry had played one of his better games all season. And yeah. he, I, I guess Shake was playing pretty well in the fourth. And just in general, that unit was playing pretty well. So maybe that's what the decision was with Doc. But Matisse is now knocking on the door of closer Matisse. Like you kind of have to play. I mean, Fox is the exact type of player that you would, you would put him on. Like, when they play Boston and when they play Brooklyn, maybe this will change. Like in the playoffs, maybe his offense will be too bad. Maybe they will make a trade that allows Simmons to guard some of these other players. And maybe they'll think like Tobias can handle one of these three guys. But you're thinking Kemba and Kyrie? I'm thinking of Kemba and Kyrie. If the, the way the Sixers are situated now, and you know we saw a couple of weeks ago when they played Boston, he got Kemba. Like the small water bug type of guards. That is Matisse's job now, and I would expect him to close games until he, I don't know, until the offense just really starts screwing them. But, like, it's really valuable what he's doing. I don't want to 
shortchange him at all. He he has he took zero shots in 22 minutes. I, I said that I'm saying that again. And he was like the third most impactful player on the floor. Well, because uh, I'm looking at the basketball reference box score right now, and they include various advanced stats like true shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, three point attempt rate, free throw rate. They're all blank, not zero, blank, because he didn't attack the sh- uh, d- d- he didn't attempt a shot. It is uh, it's pretty. Inc- I mean, look at his. He yearly- would be he would be like Club Trillion, except <laughs> if if steals and blocks didn't exist, he would be Club Trillion. You're looking at him. He has on the season a positive box plus minus, while having a negative three point seven offensive box plus minus. He is legitimately one of the worst offensive players in the league. He still grades out as above average because the defense is that special. It's insane. It's insane. And I said this on on Twitter during the game. I, I don't know if he fouled Fox on this play. Maybe he did. Maybe he got the body. But regardless, he has about 10 blocks this season where it is a clean block on a jump shot or a floater or something like that. And the dude who he's guarding, who is often like an all-star level player as we just said, falls to the ground because he blocks him so hard. It's crazy. I mean, like the, the force he plays with, it's it's insane. And I, I know he fouls like four times per 36 possessions, but or per 36 minutes, but man, I, it's it's hard not to say that it's worth it on, on nights like this because uh, it, it's a weapon that like no other team has a player like that. That's just like an all defense player who, has like six blocks and steals per game. It's crazy. I don't know. I, I, I'm rambling now, but he is the weirdest player in the NBA. And it's in such a wonderful way right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the thing with his defense is it's not even like, like he's being asked to defend people like the Aaron Fox, like in, in those hypothetical or future matchups, Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker, when really his, Probably like his, 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 he could make more of a defensive impact, at least more of a statistical defensive impact, if he was more of an off-ball roamer. So this isn't even really using him to his greatest advantage or his greatest strength. It's just you don't have enough people to defend the perimeter right now, and he's being sort of thrust into that role. He's he's yeah. I don't I don't know how many different ways I can say, wow, that's really weird. Uh, but that's that's really weird. That's really weird. That's a good point you make about the off-ball roamer because I imagine if you listen back to our podcast at the beginning of last season when he, in scrimmages and in some of the preseason games, we're like, man, he's really stealing and blocking everything. How do you think the Sixers are going to deploy him? And we said, well, I think Brett's going to move him off the ball because they have Josh Richardson, they have Horford, they have these guys who could theoretically take some matchups Brett had the foresight to say, like, no, we can't do that. Like, he needs to guard on-the-ball type players. And last season, one thing they did get right was to slot Matisse on these quicker guards. And, you know, I think, like, in some ways, it's it's a natural progression that, like, the fact that he was so good as a rookie, a lot of times you're going to get a little bit better your second season. You're going to get a little bit more comfortable. And I imagine that's what we're seeing because, in this case, like, Doc is not really changing up too much what uh what the previous coaching staff had done so the i screwed up my search criteria three the last time there have been 
uh, what eight seasons in NBA history where a player received at least um, received at least a thousand minutes in a season while having a negative box plus mi- negative offensive box plus minus of negative three and still coming out with a positive overall box plus minus eight in the history. Like you don't see people this bad offensively be able to make it up defensively. And it hasn't happened since Chuck Hayes in 2007 and eight. And that's the only mm-hmm. time in the last um, 25 years it's happened. Matisse right now would qualify once he gets over that thousand minute threshold. So again, that's a negative three offensive box plus minus while coming out with a positive box overall. It's just like people this bad offensively usually do not see this much time. And like, I don't think the defense is a fluke at all. It's what we saw last year. He's, he's just, doing it every game right now. Right. Like, I, I get it. He might not be able to do it consistently for 72 games every single night, but it's not going to completely disappear. And he, look, he, he came back. He was injured in the preseason. I uh, didn't get a whole lot of time with them during camp. Uh, got off to a slow start. Was supplanted by Tyrese Maxey for a little bit there in the rotation. Maxey came back down to earth uh, quite a bit. And, and, and Matisse has stepped in and played some of his best defensive ball of his brief career while doing nothing offensively. And so far, that's been good enough. It's really weird. Really All right. Weird. Enough on Matisse. So you almost jinxed Embiid with your MVP comp. <laughs> the worst three quarters he's played all year. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was just him not bringing it. Yeah. He, I mean, he just, he, he got, like you talked about their transition defense. He was suspect number one in that debate. Like he was getting smoked down the court uh, by Rashawn Holmes, his former teammate. And it looked like he was settled. I, I thought he was settling a bit offensively or at least not pushing his advantage as much as he normally would. Like Rashawn is six, eight, six, nine. He should have been able to have a little more success. He just was not a hundred percent engaged uh, in those first three quarters to it. I mean, it, it felt a little bit like a 2019, 20 Joel Embiid road game rather than what had been a pretty consistent 2020, 21 Joel Embiid road game which is a, a an MVP caliber player. Uh, and we finally got that there in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And uh, now that we mentioned MVP, I did see uh, Bontemps had his ESPN player poll. He is, he is second right now to LeBron, which, I mean, come on, people. I, this, this is ridiculous. It, LeBron's just going to win because he has – the stature, but LeBron has not been as good as Embiid. This well, what, what's funny about LeBron, so he's in the top two or three every year. He hasn't actually won the award in eight years. I was stunned when I like thought, and like thinking back about it, like, of course, like you've had Giannis the last two years and Harden the one year and Westbrook the one year, which was a travesty, but whatever, we're well beyond that. Um, so it's like his, his name. And I mean, look, he's year to year. He's the most consistent player I've ever seen. Gets him in the top three every year, but he hasn't really, but I think this could be the year where the narrative changes and he might get one that maybe he deserved four years ago. He might end up getting this year. I could see that happening. And I mean, in fairness, like, is he the best player in the world still? Yes. Just yeah. not every night. Like, and it's a regular season award. That's that's right. what we're going on. I mean, that's what at least I think we vote on. Um, all right. I, I got off track there. But yeah, in Embiid's worst performance of the season, because he did have a good fourth quarter as you... uh as you mentioned, where he was he was sluggish throughout. Really, honestly, watching Bagley just outwork him was 
pretty frustrating. And that happened for, it felt like a pretty long stretch of the second and third quarter. You know, like I think initially Embiid, he wasn't quite as active, but to be fair, like Seth Curry was hitting everything and and the Sixers offense was, was humming. Cork was on fire. Cork was pretty bad on defense too, by the way. Sure. He had, he had 12 points in the first quarter plus. Yeah. He had, Given up at least 15. It was (laughs) not his best uh, defense. But uh, yeah, Embiid, like, I think initially at least he saw that, okay, Simmons is starting off well, Curry is starting off well. But yeah, the middle quarters, like, just letting Bagley front him was was pretty frustrating. And yet, one of his worst performances of the season, 25 points, 17 rebounds, 6 assists. Yeah. Two steals, two blocks, did have four turnovers, 13 of 14 from the line, plus nine. And I will just add on top of that, maybe his best defensive quarter of the season in the fourth quarter. The It, it felt like he was showing like, hey, like I, I'm not going to bring it quite at this level every night, but it's there. Like the, this level of being locked in and rotating and defensive activity, I'm just letting everybody know it's there. Yeah. And look, two major takeaways I had from that game from Embiid. The first you mentioned, uh, the defensive effort in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, the, the Kings went, I forget how long it was, but pretty long without a bucket. I think the Sixers had a 10 or 12 Oh run to take control of that game. And he, I mean, he was in, he, he was really good defensively in that fourth quarter. The second was, was the passing. And we've seen it a lot this year. Six six assists was actually his highest of the season, which seems like it shouldn't be, but he gets he does not pick up assists. Like if you look at his assist totals, you wouldn't notice the passing, um, the improvement in in, in the passing because he he's not getting credit for a lot of those hockey assists, right? And he doesn't get those cheapy assists that he used to get with JJ all the time, where he would just hand the ball off <laughs> and Reddick would take, Reddick would take a dribble and he'd get an assist for that. So you don't statistically you don't see that at least in the traditional box score stats, but I mean last night, which will be two nights ago by the time you listen to this, he did get credit for the six assists, uh, and a couple of those were really good passes. Like he had the one where he was at the top of the key, maybe a little bit past the foul line, and he found Harris for a a real nice cut, and he really didn't have a very big window to drop that ball in, and he did it pretty well and pretty confidently and pretty decisively. And then the other was also to Harris. This time with Harris in the corner and Embiid on a double team, where it looked like they were pretty close to getting him, and he was off balance and leaning away, and he still found you know the one player that the uh, Kings had rotated off of, and made the pass completely across the court uh, for a a pretty big three. I think it put him up seven or eight at that point with a couple minutes left. So those were my two big takeaways from Joel in the fourth quarter, and it is nice that look you don't want him to have to flip that switch too much. You want a consistent Joel every night. But if his worst game of the season is one where he flips a switch and completely changes the game in the fourth quarter, you'll learn to live with it. Yeah, that was a fantastic pass. And after the game, the uh, the skip pass to the corner to Harris, Doc Rivers said that that was uh, his favorite play that he made uh, from Joel all night. Also, uh, Doc Rivers, another classic gif moment when uh, I don't know who he was yelling at, but... After an obscenely clear Dwight Howard goaltend, which, I mean, my God, Dwight, 
Man, he does some really dumb stuff uh, on the court. I don't know who he was yelling at, whether he was yelling at the ref, because look, it's like a close-up shot of him. I, you know, you can't see if it's just Dwight running down the other end of the court. For his sake, I probably I would hope that he's not arguing with the ref about that specific call. Maybe he was <laughs> arguing about another call, but it's just him, of course, with his mask down, which I mean, like, it's which is ridiculous. But you can just see him go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> And look, maybe maybe that is what will get him to wear a mask, and that will be that would be good. But yeah, it was. I did not like. I said I didn't see it happen live. I don't know if I just glanced away at the TV or was taking notes or whatever. But when I saw uh, the tweet come out, it was like, oh yeah, wow. He um and like the camera angle was perfect. It was nice and zoomed in on him. There was uh there was no getting away with that one. There was no getting away with that one. Uh, that man is a walking meme. His yeah. reactions. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. His. You can you can definitely read his emotions. He does not keep those in. Uh, what else? Just yeah, a and then shade. and then his and then his daughter writes can't really make out yeah. what he said sarcastically. Yeah. His his daughter is married to Seth Curry. Yep, yep. Terrible. Uh, terrible. Like maybe the worst Danny Green game of the season, which is fine. He had been playing decently there of late. Uh, like you mentioned, Corkmaz had the success in the first quarter uh, on offense, and we will speak nothing else of the other end of the court. Um, Not a whole lot to make note of outside of that. Tobias, I thought, really struggled for most of the game, but then came came alive in the fourth quarter, um, ended up with 22 points on 15 shots. Uh, I, I asked him after the game, he is killing it on that one horn set where he, he gets the dribble handoff and then runs the pick and roll with Embiid going to his left. Like, I feel like that is, you know, it's obviously like a 12, 10 footer. That was a game that, winner, right? Was that the game winner? Yeah. That he had a couple, couple days ago. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That, I don't know if it was that specific play. It was definitely going to his left on a pull up. It's it's that specific shot though. Left pull up, probably like just outside of the paint. Feels like that is a, 65% shot yeah. right now for him. So yeah, like you said, not his best game from start to finish. Although I did think he had some decent defensive possessions. Um, if you get a guy like Harrison Barnes against him, like he'll, he'll do a decent job standing yeah. in front of him. Yep. And that's where I think you can kind of see Tobias's defensive improvements over the past couple of seasons that he, uh, that he deserves credit for. Yeah. And look, Tobias is not a shutdown defender, but, I'll be honest, Tobias Harris's defense is not my biggest complaint with him. It's not even really particularly close. Uh, like, if you want to say, how can Tobias Harris become worth his contract? It's not defensive improvement. Like, you, if he is your fourth best defender, like, you're okay. It is the free throw. It is the shot creation for others. It is the scoring efficiently, which, I mean, so far he has been efficient this season. And I I mean, I've I've voiced my skepticism plenty of times. Defense is pretty low on my list of concerns. It really is. Not a Sixers takeaway, but Tyrese Halliburton, man, he's pretty yeah. good. Huh? Yep. No, they uh, they, they definitely got that one. Uh, he he looked real good. And when you're talking about, you know, he was the right edge of the lottery, like just, just I think it was 12th, uh, 13th, something in that range. Um, Projected they, uh, to go a lot higher pre-draft. Yeah. No, by he, a lot of people. He looks and he looks like a pretty good fit with uh with Fox too. Like he can he can he's a pretty good passer. He can certainly make the shot from deep. Um good decision maker. I I like him a lot. 
I like him a lot. Yeah, good fit because he could shoot it from from distance. Weird looking shot, obviously. And yeah. I think that limits what he'll be able to do like off the dribble. Volume wise, yeah. Yep. He won't be able to get that pull up shot. Maybe he will develop it in time, you know. Honestly, after watching Lonzo Ball get a normal shot, like I'm I'm willing to believe anything. It's gonna be harder for him for sure. But you know, but maybe I mean, not he made a he made a pretty good chunk at Iowa. Like it's not like he was a non shooter at all. You're just talking about um, the kind of shots he can get up, the volume he can get up, the, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, he didn't have a great handle in, in college from what I had seen still doesn't have like an awesome one, but I think the, the big key for him is that with the added space of the NBA, he played on a pretty crappy college team. He's just like a really smart player, man. He makes really smart decisions, especially for a rookie too. I was like, so impressed with him in the second, third quarter of that game. Like he just, he would not make one single mistake. Obviously he was making every shot too. And then he bites he jinxed on the, him uh, though. Yeah. Hey, be bit on the uh, cork pump thing. <laughs> Welcome to league moment. You know, every, everybody gets it. <laughs> I was just picturing like Tim Duncan getting a guy with like a, a shoulder fake. It's like cork miles is that guy now. Yep. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess uh, I guess we'll sort of like finish this off with a a few By the way, thoughts. One more thing, Seth Curry, fifty fifty a hundred right now. Yeah, stop fouling him. I think I saw. Uh, I think it was CBS tweeted out that he would be the first fifty fifty a hundred player in NBA history. Well, I mean, of course, like how many people go an entire season while qualifying with the minutes and whatnot to shoot a hundred percent from the line? That doesn't really happen. So the way for Seth to make NBA history is to just not get fouled ever again. I am Which, enjoying. I am enjoying on the broadcast. By the way, Zoom off is like completely silent when he shoots free throws. <laughs> to not jinx it. How many? How many does Seth have on the season? How many attempts are we talking about from the line? Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. Perfect pod. Perfect pod. Thirty for thirty. Okay. Okay. Mm. He typically takes about in a season where he's playing. What if I told you to Seth 70. Curry didn't make a free throw or didn't miss a free throw? Sorry, yeah. 30, 30 for 30 joke there. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. Uh, his typical season output uh, when he's playing 65 to 70 games is right around 100. So he still needs to go about 70 for 70 from the line to qualify, not to mention staying above 60% from three point range, which seems like a tall order, but we will be on the lookout for history there. Have you noticed there's a lot of buzz out of Dallas where people are pretty critical of that trade? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when your team uh, is drastically underperforming and quite frankly is sucking offensively, uh, I, I guess that tends to happen. There's some buyer's remorse down there. And I, I guess, like, in, in fairness to Jay Rich, he also had COVID for a couple of weeks. And I think he had COVID. He had to, like, stay in Denver or something like that. Like, he, they were on the road and he had to end up like staying in a hotel for a while, but he has not played that well for them. And, uh, no. and while I like him, I, uh, I, I do worry about like scaling his offensive game. When you scale it down, the inefficiency is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, he's shooting 29% from three. Uh, it's really starting to look like that one year with the heat where he shot like 35, 36% um, might have been an aberration. And you're talking about not a mid thirties, three point shooter, but a 33, 34% guy. And when you add that in with the decision-making with the sort of record scratch moments offensively, it is, it is tough to fit in. 
It is. I mean, do you remember how many like debates we got into? Like, oh man, he ran that Miami offense. Well, they were terrible. They they suck. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like you said, scaling back has been difficult, and he's not good enough to scale up. So it has been, it's been tough. It's been tough. And he's a guy that I liked. Like I liked the hypothetical all around game, but that was when he was on that upward trajectory of getting better every year. The last two years have been difficult, for sure. For One sure. other small mo- note on Mer- or, uh, Curry, excuse me, that I thought was um, was important in the first quarter of that game. He ran dribble handoff with both Simmons, with Harrison Barnes playing way off of yep. him, and Embiid just two man game, very Redick like, and it looked more comfortable. It looked like, you know, he had been hesitating. I feel like a little while to do that. Maybe he's not as comfortable. He's certainly not as fast as JJ was running off the screens, but you know, he's a damn good shooter. So like yep. do it. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and especially like, it's one thing to do dribble handoff with Embiid. That would be great. I'd, I'd still, as good as Embiid has been, I'd love to get Embiid some easy looks. And that's one way to do it. If he can make himself into a JJ like threat, but especially with Simmons, like when they're just completely disregarding him from the perimeter, run that, uh, make bring his defender up into the action. Uh, it would be a uh, a great skill set to add, especially until JJ gets bought out. You can get JJ Prime. Uh, let's see. All right, so they are now at um, what I think they are a game past the third of the way through the season. Uh. I guess just real general, like where are they in relation to what you expected? And I, I, all the caveats out there out of the way at, at, from the top, like we don't really know because the schedule has been super weird, but just, I guess, general thoughts a third of the way through. Probably a little better yeah, than I expected. I mean, some of it is that they have done well in these close games. You had in your article, their fourth quarter, metrics and their defense has been fantastic in these close games and it's why they've in some ways they've uh they've outplayed their point differential and I, I don't get too caught up in that because some of that point differential came when Embiid wasn't playing and uh it was pretty funny like I was looking on Reddit today they were 18 and 7 at this point last year too oh yeah oh yeah with a uh, I think a better point differential yeah better point differential the it seems like the main difference, though, was that they were a lot better in the games that Embiid didn't play. And and I don't really remember that, but I, I, if you listen back to what we were saying in, I don't know, November 2019, December 2019, I, I guess those early Simmons-Horford games without Embiid were going better because like there was a stat, I, I forget who put it up on, uh, on Reddit, I'm not trying to uh, discredit that person, but... The, like when the full starting lineup had played, you know, they were not the undefeated group that this team is right now. And that's pretty encouraging. Like to just see, I thought they were going to be pretty good, but to see them right away be awesome. And and to see like last year was the year when Simmons and Embiid playing them together wasn't really working out. And we thought that a lot of it could have been just like the guys they are surrounding them with aren't that good but it's nice to see it. Yeah. And, and as an added bonus, they're winning all of these close games. And like you said, I mean, they're four games up on everybody, but Milwaukee, Milwaukee, who is awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And Milwaukee's like right on their heels now too. Uh, if you look at a lot of the, you know, I think it was 
uh, basketball power index from ESPN, simple rating system from, um, from basketball reference. I think most of them still consider Milwaukee to be pretty much the best or the highest rated team in the NBA. Still, they are like, I think some people, some Sixers fans might've slept on them a little bit in the beginning. I think some people might still be sleeping on them because of their playoff struggles in the past, but they are still a really good team. And Giannis is still really good. He's not quite as good as he was the last two years, uh, but he's still really good. Yeah. And Chris Middleton's better. Yeah. And, and Drew is a good fit. Like that is a good, not deep, a different team than they've been, but that is a good team. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, no, and going back to your point, like I think the the Sixers starting lineup last year was, I think they were probably like a plus seven ish net rating. Like I think their net rating was actually pretty good, but that was early in the season. They started having some injuries. You know, Josh Richardson went out, and then they had Embiid and Simmons. But if you just took the starting lineup without Josh Richardson, they cratered and they were real bad uh, to the point where I think they were almost a negative point differential. So I think we spent a lot of time thinking like, well, is it the full starting five or like how much of that is the Embiid Horford fit and yada, yada, yada. We don't need to debate that again because we spent uh, lost years of my life in those couple of months. But this feels a lot more natural around Embiid. It feels a lot more sustainable around Embiid. And Embiid has just very clearly taken another step. Like you mentioned, a lot of the previous year's relative success was because they didn't crater without Embiid. Well, that's great, especially in the regular season. But you need Embiid to be successful to really have a chance to win in deep into the playoffs. And it feels like Embiid has taken a very clear step. And that is no small consideration. And also they fit so much better around Embiid. That is no small consideration. And we're talking about a title run. Uh, I think that is why there's so much more excitement than even if I think if you would go back to what we were talking about and writing about last year. I don't think we felt that same level of confidence. And to be clear, I still don't think they're a championship team. Conference finals, I could see that. Maybe even winning the East, I could see that. Would I make them the favorite in the finals? No, I don't really see that right now. But I think they are a very clearly a closer to that kind of a team than they were at this time last year. I mean, God, think about those August podcasts Ugh. during... The Celtics series. I mean, it was just like all hope is lost. And at some point along the way, I know I said this, you probably said it too. I was just like, look, I'm not even thinking about a championship anymore. Can we just get like a normal basketball team yeah. again? Yeah. And they certainly fulfilled that goal. So yeah, it's been uh it's been fun. I mean that that's a game that they probably don't win last season. Sure. Yep. Not I agree not that. playing that well for a while. The Kings hit them with a haymaker in the second quarter. Like, There's a degree of mental toughness, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's more balance on the offensive end. I, I don't care what it is. They just would not have won that game a yeah. season ago. Because as we know, they went 2-80 and 80 on the road last right. season. But Right. The two most improved teams this year are the Knicks and the Road Sixers, for sure. Yeah. Right. Speaking, by the way, speaking of Horf, one last thought on Horf, I uh, – I had an audible laugh in my in my house the other day. He was uh he was playing in a close game against the Lakers and he uh he got a pick and pop three, I believe, to like ice the game. He had just made one. Pick and pop three. Maybe the ugliest brick I've ever seen in my in like just a total Al Horford brick and he clapped. 
I, don't. I thought to, I thought to myself after I was laughing, man, I don't have to care about that anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't miss the clap. Good guy. I don't need the clap. All right. So one quick update on the Sixers beat and the rights to Ricky Sanchez game, and then we will let all of you go. You know, first of all, I want to get it out there. Uh, I think some people wonder whether or not Spike and I have a real beef. Uh, we do not. I like Spike. Uh, I have a long relationship with Spike. I value that. So why do we pick on Spike? Well, I think first of all, you know, when you go back and you think, well, how 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 would this game, this Sixers beat versus rights to Ricky Sanchez basketball game get done? Anything that gets done with that podcast goes through Spike. He is the one that organizes a lot of what they do. So if you want this game to actually happen, get Spike motivated to make it happen. So that was part of the reason we went after Spike specifically, but only a small part. Because if I'm being honest, the other part is that he just makes a better villain. And I think the reasons why would be pretty obvious. You know, he sort of, he embraces uh, sort of that confrontational, um, polarizing nature about him. He plays off of that. I think he enjoys it to some degree. He might not admit to it too much, but certainly if you're looking for a villain, everyone likes Mike. He's not controversial at all. Spike embraces controversy. He is the more natural villain. So we picked on Spike because it's just, quite frankly, more fun and more effective. That being said, you know, I am sensitive to the fact that he does have a legitimate health issue, that his back does hurt. I don't want him playing in a game that could hurt his back. And I, I truthfully mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, if, if his back is that bad, I do not want to pressure him into playing a game. That being said, they did bring up the game first. They did challenge us. They did say that they would beat us. And we are very confident that that is incorrect. We are confident that we would win this game. So I don't want to pick on Spike. He can't play. His back is a real issue. Mike, you can't hide on the West Coast for everybody. Get your ass back to the East Coast when it is safe to do so. And we will kick your ass. <laughs> 